You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. Pithy rhetorical question. In your own mind, you don't have to say this out loud, but what do you think is sacred? How do you define sacred? What is sacred to you? What does that, that word mean? For some people, the sacred objects, sacred places are places that are built by humans a long time ago. Something built that was done with great care or great love. It's very expensive. It's made from materials that are rare or they're super local. Some people think the most sacred things are untouched by humans, like Uluru and the whole Katajuda in Australia where there's a huge boulder. You know about Uluru? The boulder. You don't mess with the rocks around the boulder. There's stones that there's the big rock you see. But if you visit there, I've been told, there's tons of notes that people left when they took a rock from there and like bad stuff happened to them. So they brought the rock back and wrote an apology and then put the rock over the note. That's kind of like a we start talking about sacred places. This place has, it's imbued with some kind of strange presence, some kind of supernatural occurrence. The, why, maybe it's just bad luck and, and people make, it, make stories up. But the Black Hills here in North America, people talk about Jerusalem over the years. For us, maybe it's the Liberty Bell, Independence Mall. Kensington encampments. What is sacred and is anything not sacred? And, and if it is sacred, because you want to, I'm already trying to get you to go here to be like, yeah, sacred, everything's good, sacred. That's where I'm trying to get you. But if we're really there, then how do we behave differently? How do we relate differently in this place that's, that's touched by God? Just some uh, Personal anecdotes. The most sacred place that I've ever been to and just been like blown away by something humans built was the ruins of the city of Babylon in southern Iraq. It's mind-blowing. I was there in 2002 before the British army used it for a helicopter base, you know, landing zones and stuff, but it's getting built, restored. The restoration project has returned. But to go and see Nebuchadnezzar's outdoor throne room, here's some Bible talk for you. Praying against unjust governments, with people of that place, just like Daniel did, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. I think the, the most like natural place that ever, this is another anecdote, that just blew my gourd. Bethany, you remember going to Vic Falls in Southern Africa? You can't, I don't even know why I show you a picture of this, because there's no photo that gives you the experience of walking in a park along the side of the cliffs and the amount of mist, and the, the volume, and the power, and the, the rainbows, and everything is just spectacular. You get soaking wet, and some people are trying to take pictures, and they're, they're breaking their phone just to try to get a picture. But that's the, uh, you know, in Tokalaya Tonga, the local tongue, they called it Mosi Oatunya, which means the smoke that thunders. That place to me was kind of like, wow. But are there some places that are less sacred? Are they less mind-blowing to me? Yes, because I just told you about the ones that were like, whoa, 
in the, in the, I go to other places sometimes and I, you know, or I go, you know, or whatever, have bad attitude other times. Can't see it. Can't see the sacredness. I lost my, um, my filter for it sometimes. But were these places that, that you think might be unsacred, were they sacred places that were made to be unsacred? Were they created as unsacred places? Were they created to eventually become unsacred, except for the elect places? This little talk here, what I'm trying to get us to think about is that there are no unsacred places. And to quote the longer title, because it's ripped from a Wendell Berry poem, is there are only sacred places and desecrated places, which is one of the quotes on the wall back there. If you chill in that little prayer corner, you see stuff like that. What I'm trying to get us at is that God loves this place as part of creation. And we are trying to get in touch with that love to love our place. We're moving with God's love. We love our natural environment as well as movements of people right where we live. We're letting that experience shape us. The story of love, the story of recovery, the story of rejuvenation, the story of possibility. That's what we're trying to align our hearts with, with this connection to Jesus and this love, rather than just the story of how jacked up everything is. We're considering God's love for us and our call to love well as neighbors who are part of this community of creation. So here's a, there's this sweet Berry poem, Wendell Berry poem that uh, I lifted that little line from. There's three stanzas that I just want to give you some beats so that when you're wondering when the talk is over, it's when we read the third little spot. But he's, Wendell Berry's super old at this point, farmer, Kentucky, person of his place, had a different kind of career, turned back, went back to the land and writes beautiful stuff. So this is, he's writing to himself about being a poet. So if you want to hear this, just consider yourself a poet, for, at least for the moment. Maybe you think, I don't even write poetry. Just, you're poetic in some other way then. But like, let your, your inner poet be stirred. Make a place to sit down. Sit down. Be quiet. You must depend upon affection, reading, knowledge, skill, more of each than you have, inspiration, work, growing older, patience. For patience joins time to eternity. Any readers who like your poems doubt their judgment. It's a little bit over at the end, you know, but pretty good. Here's some Bible stuff. The Hebrew Bible has so many acts of desecration in it. Now, just full confession, at one point in my life, I was listening to certain kinds of music that was like heavy metal a lot. And I came across friends and bands and stuff like that who were into Christian metal. Have you ever experienced Christian death metal? Some of the stuff that we talk about in Christian death metal circles and power metal circles and doom metal circles are where's the gnarliest stuff in the Bible? And how do we sing about it? So they'll let us do it in church. Or whatever, the, I don't know, it's, uh, it's fascinating. Stories of desecration are so much of what metal is about. It's about illuminating this experience that happens that, that life gets sucked from something. 
and, and understanding that, not necessarily celebrating it as some people, you know, some people do, but like it's about, you know, this is, these are some pretty metal things in the Old Testament. Most of the time, the desecration, those acts happen to the authors. They're describing their stories of, and then our holy place was desecrated. They came in and they trashed the temple and they desecrated it. Some of the greatest uh, collective traumas that happened with the Hebrew people was the desecration of the temple. And when the Romans finally destroyed the city and sacked it in the, you know, in the early days of the, the Christians. But if you go back, sometimes a reformer king, you know, in like Second Kings, I'm not sure last time, a couple of you dabble in Second Kings, I like that. But Josiah is one of the classic reformers. He didn't do a ton of stuff that's like noteworthy, except for clean up. Clean up, the, this is like 7th century BC. And he goes, in one chapter, has three acts of desecration. He's clearing out the idols of uh, foreign gods. Some of them were as old as Solomon. And he had, the, had the, uh, his people clear them out in uh, 2 Kings 23. Josiah's great-grandfather, Hezekiah, of course, because the genealogies are fun, and they're part of one of the Jesus genealogies. He was taking down the remnants of Baal, and Baal worship the fertility god of the Phoenicians and the Canaanites. And there's this legendary battle with Elijah and the prophets of Baal, right, and all that thing. But this, oh yeah, do you know what you're looking at? What's this pic? Anybody just take a, take a guess. What's this picture of? You know what it is in your heart. Is what? No, it's bigger than that. It's probably three feet across. No, it's not a gom jabbar, but that would be a horrible gom jabbar. It's a latrine. The most sacred place for the prophets of... You said that, Mikey? I knew that you knew. As soon as I looked over at you, you're like, that's, that's made for human waste. And yeah, so this is what his move was, Hezekiah. In the holiest place for the, the prophets of Baal, he ripped down their stuff and put a latrine. And 2 Kings 10 says, and it's there to this day. That is an act of desecration, right? That's the, the sort of spirit of it. But if you want to just a, some lighthearted, silly toilet fun in the Bible... You could even just read this, this headline from 2016 that says, Archaeologists found biblical toilet that destroyed a cult. That's desecration. But it's wild to me how much humans think that we can change the sacredness of someone else or of something else. We change the sacredness of a place. Whether we intervene, whether we interfere, that's how the sacredness gets shifted by human interaction. Just longer conversation that we're not going to have, just consider for a moment the problematic nature of that is that the story that you might be living into is a human-centered story when you consider that God makes sacred. God is at the center of the story, bringing healing. This is Wendell Berry again. Breathe with unconditional breath, the unconditioned air, shun electric wire, communicate slowly, live a three-dimensional life, stay away from screens, 
stay away from anything that obscures the place it is in. There are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. Consider the staghorn sumac. Anybody familiar with this plant? You are and you don't even know it. Because here, here's you ever drive on the turnpike or on a highway in Pennsylvania? This, this is one of the most common plants that's going wild on those edges. On the edges of what is no longer wild. This is where the staghorn comes back. This was a critical, uh, one of the, the staple crops that Lenape, it's not even a crop, I mean, you can cultivate it, but it grows wild around here. Lenape people used it for thousands of years. One of the most famous uses is you, for a pipe ceremony, you cut it to three parts tobacco, one part staghorn. And the smell of it was so unique that the early missionaries that got here said before you even got into a Lenape village, you'd smell it because you would smell this plant. Now this plant, again, is on the edge of highways. This, this, this beautiful, I mean, that's kind of how it looks if you go to the Appalachian Trail in Pennsylvania and the fields are full of it. The leaves, the bark, the roots, and even these fuzzy berries were all used for teas and dyes and externally treatment for sore throat, toothaches, and arthritis. I think that for the church, this is where I reach to make a metaphor for the church. The, this movement of God, so often the movement of God gets decentered by projects of degradation. By, pro by systems of oppression we were talking about earlier. By, you know, however much propaganda you can push at people to get them to live into the story of the highway rather into the story of the forest. And that's both, I mean that in a, if I think if we lived in the story of the forest more, we would be healthier. When we, when we dabble in the, in the, the story of the highways. When we, when we live in the story of God, the story of redemption, the story of Christ working, bringing things back to life, restoring the sacred, helping us enter into the mindset of like, yes, this is touched by God, this is sacred. That's when we're allowing God to be re-centered. When these, when these plants could be used again, could be part of life again. That's the, the, the opportunity that just surrounds us so, and it surrounds us so often that most of us don't even see it. This is the spiritual reality that we live in during troubled times, like you said so well earlier tonight, Martha. Sometimes sacredness gets recovered in the scripture. In the New Testament, one of my favorite moments ever is when Jesus is in Jerusalem and sees the way that the temple tax is being worked out and the way that people are getting extorted to buy either perfect sacrifice or have to trade in their Roman currency for the temple currency and all sorts of these little trans micro transactions. That's what we would call them today when they just take a hit of it. They're just like, you know, just, you have to pay the, the administrative fee. Jesus isn't having that. And two of the gospels, but Matthew 21 is my, the one I like the better. He goes and he cleanses the temple, he cleanses it from people making, trying to make a buck on other people trying to be connected to the holy, to, to God, to the sacred. 
when Paul wrote Thessalonians chapter 5, this is, this is what Thessalonians looks like. Now may the God of peace themselves sanctify you completely. The wish of Paul to the church is that the God of peace herself would make you completely holy. That this process is going. I'm encouraging that process along. Hagger Street Playground is just such a wonder in our neighborhood. And we're so fortunate to Julius for your family, for the Landestratuses, or Landestrati, as I like to pluralize. Curtis and Les, other folks on the block that, you know, I can't name everybody, but who have been for years working on a, on a dream that had no shortage of the need for coalition building with neighbors who don't like each other, with strong personalities and strong opinions who are hard to please, yet bring them into this beautiful process. After years of planning, years of fundraising, years of this coalition building and years of waiting, this place is getting worked out. Have you been by lately? It doesn't even look like this somewhere, right? No, it looks like more like this, kind of. But it's, but it's getting there. It's getting somewhere, and it's an incredible, beautiful gift, especially to the children of our neighborhoods. Some of the spaces this week that I inhabited seemed like they were made sacred, and then seemed like they got messed with in ways that perhaps made them desecrated only for some new movement to happen and the sacredness restored. I'm talking, of course, about uh, starting out at City Hall last Monday when there was a demonstration to say abolish ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. And it's and PARS is another thing, P-A-R-S, and PARS, you see that hashtag around. Basically, that is a partnership project between Philadelphia police and these, you know, masters of deportation. So how do they get them to work together? So this, mar this rally I was at turned into a march. I was kind of, I love it when that happens. So that was good. I didn't know the whole plan seemed like maybe it was you know, planned all along, but I thought it was just happening. It was marvelous. City Hall all of a sudden is full of life and people circling City Hall. You ever walk around City Hall on a big march? Is it so sweet? Is it sacred? It feels that way to me. And then they kept going down Market Street. And then they went and started an encampment at ICE's offices for multiple days until the, the police came. And in again, example of collusion between the Philadelphia police and the, the deportation squad, where then they go and they clear out the camp, throw out food, throw out stuff. I mean, you know, it's how they're ordered to do it. People get in the mayor's face and be like, hey, sanctuary city, huh? So then the, the mayor, and by my estimation, said, okay, they're going to City Hall, we're just gonna let them be there. So now back at the west side of City Hall, shady side in the afternoon, by the way, if you wanna pop by, there's people gathered, and, and a lot of them, a lot of them are young people. And it's the comrades, Joey, who's, who are doing it. The comrades are pulling this together. And it's beautiful. I love seeing communists do their thing. Like I said, I'm not really a communist myself. 
but when they turn this analysis, especially the financial analysis, the power analysis, turn it into action, turn it into movements that, that could spark imagination in people's hearts and minds, when they bring it back, I think that's a beautiful thing. And this was Alex and Bell for this Shabbat gathering on Friday night. Alex was part of the Jewish Farm School and Bell's part of Circle of Hope. And they led it together and this it was beautiful. And then they, we, you know, ate some, like, Alex made like 50 pounds of this like lentil stew. It was excellent. Very, very vegan friendly bunch. Just as an, here's another little aside. We'll talk over here. And a lot of gluten free options. If that's kind of your thing. They're very conscious of the dietary stuff. How do you behave in a sacred place? How do you hold your posture when you know that you're in the presence of the sacred? How do you watch your mouth or not? How do you feel liberated from having to watch your mouth? How do you feel connected in a deep spiritual way? How do you feel deeply connected with others? I think that this meeting, even tonight, feels like that to me. Where I, I, I sense God moving. And I sense people's hearts being opened to wanting to, to be refreshed, to have a sense of, of the sacredness in our place where God is moving and we're moving too. We're, you know, sacred just is like touched by God. You can define it as being connected to God. Expand your definition a little bit. It doesn't just have to be this like, you don't have to climb a mountain to get to the monastery in order to experience something sacred. It can happen right now. This moment is sacred. So I hope that this final piece from Wendell Berry can help us dial in to the Holy Spirit together, to be rejuvenated, to be refreshed, to be sent. Accept what comes from silence. Make the best you can of it. Of the little words that come out of the silence, like prayers, prayed back to the one who prays, make a poem that does not disturb the silence from which it came. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.